The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're uh, in week three of a series called The Culture of Care. As Christ Church grows, we're trying to be purposeful about creating an environment where we are becoming purposefully more caring people and and establishing, as we grow, a culture of care. We want to be known as a friendly church. We want to be known as a generous church. We want to be known as a welcoming church. But we also want to be known as a caring church. And that gets hard because people are busier than they've ever been. We are more aware of need than we've ever been. We have more commitments and more things to be stressed out about. And so when we start talking about building a culture of care, it's easy for all of us, myself included, to go, how can I do more? Anybody else feel like that? We're going to ask you to care. I can't. I can't even care for me. How am I going to care for other people? And so this series has been all about helping us to build this culture. We started in week one with perspective. We wanted to have God's perspective on the world on the reality of suffering, care, care has as its backdrop suffering. And so we had to kind of talk a little bit about where suffering came from and why it's here and how God's going to use it and how he never wastes it and how it's an opportunity through care to show God to other people. It was awesome. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to week one. Last week in week two, we talked about proximity and how God is always moving toward us. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He moved by his spirit. He raised up people through the Old Testament. He ultimately came into the earth through Jesus. And then he cleansed us so that he could dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. He's always near. And that's what we're supposed to be, near. We don't always have the right words. We don't know what to say or to do. But when we come close to people, we begin to exhibit and incarnate the love and presence of God. So that's a big component. This morning, we're jumping into part three with another P word, and that is preoccupation. Can somebody say preoccupation? preoccupation. That is a, that's a lot of syllables. Preoccupation. I want to talk to you about preoccupation, and to do that, I want to jump back to 1 Peter chapter 5, what, which we have been in. You'll already recognize that pain, stress, anxiety, suffering brings with it a preoccupation. I mentioned this last year, but I was doing a little renovation of our front porch. We have a 100-year-old house, and there was a bunch of trim that had been cut out and was missing. And so I was adding some pieces of trim molding that I harvested back in, and I was using a nail gun into hardwood with nails that were too long, and I'm holding this new piece of trim, and I shoot a nail, and it goes into the wood, and then comes right back out and through my thumbnail. (laughs) I was rather preoccupied. Pain has a way of drawing all of your attention to the source of your pain, doesn't it? Now, when that happens, it's more of an immediate shock than it is pain because our body doesn't kick in right away. You know that? The painful part was not the nail going in. It was pulling the thumb off. That was the painful part, right? Some of you are like, enough, enough. Okay, I, 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 I cower before you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so it hurt. And for like days on end, weeks on end, I was like aware of that thumb. I was like careful. Every time you reach in your pocket or you grab something, ah! And so pain has a way of preoccupying us. And the same thing happens with our stress, with our anxiety level, with relational conflict, the things that we, that we walk through, that we suffer with, they become the things that we immediately wake up thinking about in the morning. How many of you guys are morning preoccupiers? I am. As soon as my eyes open, seven things flood my mind. Some of you are, you're preoccupied and you can't fall asleep. You got any of those people in the house? You're a little slower to wake up, but at night you're like thinking of all the things, laying in bed, can't fall asleep. Meanwhile, your spouse is like, out like a light. That's, that's the Jarvis household right there. So Tiffany's the, she worries at night and I worry in the morning. We have all the times covered. You get preoccupied. 
And so as we are trying to just manage our own stuff and work through the stuff of life, here we are then trying to add a layer of care for other people. And it can seem impossible. Like, what are we supposed to do to care for other people? If you're like me, and I assume that you are, when I wake up, the first 10 things I'm thinking about, they're all just me. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking about me, 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 and also me. And then I hear kids calling daddy, and then they jump into the top 10. But it's mostly just me up there. And so I'm preoccupied with all these things that I got to do, all these things that I'm juggling, all the stress that I'm experiencing. And then inevitably we have things thrown into our lap of things other people are suffering with and need help with. And we go, how do I help? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about preoccupation in a way that I think will transform your perspective and will actually not only motivate you to help, but increase your capacity to help. We're going to talk next week about priority. We're going to talk about actually creating a life that makes space for you to help. But that's not what today is about. Today we're going to talk about a preoccupation that will surprise you from 1 Peter chapter 5. And that when you understand it, it will create in you the motivation to care for people when maybe you feel like there's nothing more you can give. Well, now there's a heart there. There's something that's got you moving. And increase your capacity to care beyond what you think you're capable of. And so I want to give these two things to you as we turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 6. It's on the overhead, or you can look at it in your Bible or on your device. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You have to get low to get under. Do you know that? But there is no better place to be in the world than under the mighty hand of God. They've got enough things coming at you and coming over you and coming on you. You want to be hanging out under the mighty hand of God. That's half the battle right there is not feeling like you are the only one responsible, but coming to God and under God and being under the mighty hand of God to receive his protection and his provision and his empowering grace. Amen. And that's just good wisdom. How do we do that though? Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We're going to talk about what that means and how to do that. Verse eight says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You're like, if I didn't have enough problems already, now I got a devil trying to eat me. Getting stressed out just thinking about it. Resist him, verse nine, firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is the human experience. You're not being targeted. You're not being forgot about. You are, you are not susceptible. You have not, God has not overlooked you or he is not attacking you. This is the world in which we live. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you for your word to us. It's been read in our hearing. Would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, anoint it to our ears, that it would be powerful to transform our thinking, our feeling, our speaking, and our doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you guys know, I've said this before. If you're new, I'll say it again. I am not... Uh, a stressed out person. I typically don't get anxious about things. I joke with my friends that my worrier is broke. 
I came that way, nothing happened. You can ask my parents. I've never been a worrier. I don't get stressed out, and I don't get angry, resentful. I just am kind of like a go-with-the-flow. Anybody else a little go-with-the-flow people? And I know we're annoying to you. I know, because most people, the number one topic that Christian people ask when they're asked, what would you like to hear more sermons on? The number one topic, every single time, anxiety. So the human experience is one of anxiety. And so I typically don't experience anxiety, but I tell you what, I sure did this week, and it started with a trip to the dentist. I, I didn't go to the dentist. Well, I did. I'll, I'll, let me explain. So we have four children, and uh, everybody does not like going to the dentist, and we have not been going to the dentist. Three of our four children have been to the dentist, but it's been like three years or four years since we took our kids to the dentist. So we're already feeling like guilty as parents. They don't want to go. It's expensive. But we, we purposed last year, like, we have to take our kids to the dentist. This is ridiculous, okay? We're going to overcome our fears. We're going we're gonna to put our big boy pants on. We're going to get dental insurance, and we're going to take the kids to the dentist. So last year... At the close of the year, I got dental insurance. And then I called my dental insurance and I said, where can I go to the dentist? And then I got a recommendation from a friend, picked a dentist that was 30 miles away, made an appointment. And this is back in like April, May. I make an appointment and they're like, we can see your kids in July. So I make an appointment. Finally, month after month of this year, like not make an appointment. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I finally do it. They're like, July. So we wait 10 weeks or whatever to take the kids to the dentist. I volunteer, I don't know what I was thinking, to take all four children to the dentist in the same day by myself. So I was like, Tiffany, you have the afternoon, have a quiet house, I'll take them to the dentist. There's no reason everyone in this house should suffer. So we drive up to the dentist's office. We get there, miraculously, on time. I walk in, hand the lady the paperwork. I'd fill out all these forms, digital forms. We're all ready. And I hand her the paperwork for the insurance. And she goes, oh there seems to be a little problem. So you have a DMO and we only take the PPO. I'm like, I don't know what these initials are or what you're saying to me. I just called and told you what I had and set up an appointment now weeks and weeks ago and I have four children that desperately need to go to the dentist and I'm here now. And she's like, well, we can't take this insurance. You have to call your insurance company. You're gonna have to figure out who your dentist is. You have one that's, a, that's picked for you. You don't get to pick this plan. You don't get to pick. They pick for you. I'm like, who's my dentist? They're like, I don't know who your dentist is. There's like a code. You have to call them and get the code. I'm like, come on. So I'm like, well, how much does it cost if I just like pay out of pocket and just have them go today? She's like $125 each. And that was with some kind of coupon. So I'm like, 500 bucks? So I said, let me just call the insurance company. I step outside. I'm practicing mindfulness and breathing. I call the insurance company, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you have a DMO, and your, your provider is DM0017004. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Don't speak to me in code. What's the location? And so I call that location, and the lady was super rude, and I'm like, hey, I need to make an appointment, and she was like, okay, who's your dentist? I've never been there before. I have four children. Oh, we can't see you till October. So I'm in the parking lot trying to breathe. Oh. So then I call Tiffany, and Tiffany knows I'm stressed out when I, she answers the phone and I don't say anything, which doesn't happen very often. She goes, hey, babe, and I'm like, <sighs> so I'm in the parking lot, it's hot, the kids are in the car, they're tapping on the glass, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So finally, I'm like, you know what? I did all this work, I got all this insurance, set everything up, I can't wait till October, I'm going to go just pay the money and get the kids seen. That's a lot of money, but I'm going to do it. So I walk back in there, and I'm like, 
I got to the bottom of the insurance thing. We know who our, our provider is now, but we're just going to go ahead and pay out of pocket and have them seen today. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. We already moved everybody up. So I like literally couldn't even speak. I couldn't even say like, thank you, have a nice day. I was like, I couldn't even make eye contact. I felt like my eyes were yelling profanity. That's how bad I felt. I was so angry. So I'm getting in the car and I'm just like, my, I can feel my heart pounding and I'm flush and just angry and I have no words. And then I call and I'm like, I don't want to go till October and I don't like that lady on the, the, so I call the insurance company. I'm like, change me, whatever. Just put me with somebody else. So she puts me with somebody else, gives me the number. I call them and I get a voice mailbox. And I leave a message. I've yet to have that message returned. We have no plans for the dentist after all that. And that's all I can think about. And it was already a busy week. And not only that, I mean, that's like this like anger that comes from anxiety and this like stress from the dentist and the kids and their teeth are probably rotting in their mouth. You know, I'm like terrible parent. And like, you know, dentist office are like bad churches. You know, a lot of people don't go to church because they show up and people are like, where have you been? How long has it been? Where are you from? Why? Why are you dressed like that? No, you can't sit there. That belongs to somebody else. Move to the front. Oh, you know? And like, I want to go to a dentist's office when I walk in and I'm like, I haven't been to the dentist with my kids in four years. And they're like, we're so glad you're here. Yay. I don't know where that is. So we're just trying to be that for Jesus, but I don't know where the dentist's office is that's like that. And so I got all this anxiety and all this stress and I'm feeling like a bad parent. And then last week was Passion Camp. It was uh, for middle and high school students, 4,000 middle and high school students coming to Daytona Beach from all over the Southeast and Texas. And they're coming to meet with Jesus. And my daughter is a rising seventh grader and she's going to Passion Camp for the first time. And I'm so excited for her. And so we got her all registered. And I realized this is gonna be like one of the first times where she's in this big, huge crowd of people and there's no parents around. Like she has some chaperones and she's part of a group that's going. But I had that like nervous dad feeling, you know? And like she's 11, she's our oldest. And so all this nervous dad energy, that's all all new for me and it's all coming and I'm like Mr. Don't give the kids a phone like I throw it out there all the time and I know some of you parents you gave your kids a phone I'm like so against kids having phones I want to register the domain don't give your kid a smartphone.com like I want to be the person that's like don't do it and so I'm always like no phone no phone no phone no phone but I'm like my daughter now is going to be like in this environment and I don't know if I can't find her and so I decide I'm going to get her a dumb phone I'm going to get her a flip phone so I roll into Verizon on a Monday and I'm like, I need the dumbest phone that you have. Just give me a, just a flip phone that, that costs nothing, it does nothing. I just need a dumb phone for my 11 year old. So we're like, okay, and we pull the box out and, and I'm like, I'm teaching uh, Evie how to like nine texts. Remember that? Like, nit, 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 nit. So like it, being born in the 80s was like helpful for a hot minute. So anyway, I get her the phone, I get it all set up, I give her the dumb phone and I'm feeling pretty good. It's day one of camp, she's up and she's ready to go and she walks into my room at like 6.30 in the morning and she goes, dad, this phone has YouTube. <laughs> what? She gives me the phone. Yeah, it's preloaded with YouTube and Google on this dumb phone. You have to nine text your search in and you can get on YouTube. So I'm like, how do you uninstall this thing? You can't. Doesn't uninstall. So I march my way right back into the Verizon store with my super smart dumb phone. And I'm like, hello, this has Google and YouTube. And the, and the lady's like, oh yeah, all of them come with that. I'm like, that's what I didn't want. I don't want the internet. I don't want my child to have access to the internet. Do you understand? And so you know what she says? She says, the only phone that you can 
keep your kids off the internet from? It's a smartphone. She says, you need an iPhone. I'm like, I was just here yesterday, okay? I got the dumb phone. I told you why I wanted the dumb phone. So she gets me the iPhone, which happens to be free. They're just giving this stuff away. So they give me the iPhone, and then she shows me how to like lock it down, screen time, shut everything off, all the apps are down, you can't delete, you can't download, you can't do anything, there's nothing. It does nothing but make phone calls and text messages. And I've got this little, and I'm still nervous. I'm like, when I was a kid, I figured stuff out. She will too, and they're all smarter than me at this point, you know? And so I'm like, I'm giving her the phone. I'm not feeling comfortable about the phone. I hand the phone off to her and we get home and I go to call her. Bling, ding, ding. It doesn't work. Now we lead a busy life. We have four children, full-time ministry, lots of irons in the fire. The little, our girls created businesses during COVID. We're trying to juggle all this stuff. The house is breaking down. All the stuff I got to do. And now I'm going back to Verizon for the third time. And they tell me that I got to call tech support. So then I get on the phone with tech support. I talked to three people on tech support for an hour and a half and no one can get this phone to work. And finally, the guy who I finally talked to, he goes, we're going to try to run an update. And if that doesn't work, we're going to have to escalate you to a tier two supervisor. And I'm like, I'm about to escalate this situation myself. <laughs> I was losing it. I'm losing my mind. And I'm just feeling overwhelmed and just frozen. And you know what? I couldn't give a rip about any of y'all. Really, and I love you. I mean, like, I do this for you on purpose. Like, I want to be your pastor. People's lives are falling apart. My, one of my good friends' car got stolen. Another friend's got his daughter in the hospital with seizures. Everybody, I'm like, I can't even get a phone that's safe for my daughter to work. And I'm losing it. I'm like on the cusp of reverting to my previous vocabulary. It's a bad week. <laughs> I'm serious. I was thinking all kinds of words that aren't in the Bible. And, and so finally, I'm like, all right. I just pressed a little download the update and it's like preparing 57 minutes. I'm like, I just walked away from the whole thing. I'm just, I can't, just can't. And pain and stress and anxiety have a way of just completely preoccupying us and, and paralyzing us to be able to do nothing but focus on this issue. And it seems like everything for me was going wrong. And that's when I like cried out to the Lord, God, help me. And he goes, gotcha. Hey, mister, never stresses out. Here's what everybody else feels like. And he just kicked me across the room. I swear that's what he did. He's like, oh, you're going to preach on anxiety? Here, buckle up. Try this on for size. Let's take you to the Verizon store. That'll work. Yeah. How about the dentist? You like talking to insurance agents? I didn't think so. No one else does either. Here's a little stress. Here's a little more stress, you know? And this passage pops into my mind and I'm going, God, help me. And he goes, that's the right answer. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, it hit me like never before. My anxieties and stresses and the troubles that I was experiencing totally preoccupied me, totally paralyzed me. But this passage told me one of three realities that totally altered my perspective and experience. And the first one is that I'm not the only one preoccupied. This scripture tells me that God is preoccupied and he is preoccupied with me. He's not unattentive to my circumstances. He was not closed to my prayers. He was not distant or far off. He was waiting, he was watching, he was ready to help. He saw it 
the front from the back, the beginning to the end, and everywhere in between, and he never stopped caring for me. This is a theme all throughout the Bible. Peter hones in on it as he's recognizing the challenges that the first century Christians under the diaspora were going to experience. They were exiles. Their whole lives were turned upside down. And he's speaking to leaders and he's speaking to churches, saying, listen, there's going to be lots of things that cause you anxiety and trouble and stress and pain and hurt and confusion. You've got you to learn to take those things to God. And the reason you can do that is because he cares for you. Look at Psalm chapter 40 and verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. I love the NASB version as well. It says, many, Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is no one to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. God is so big and so powerful and so thoughtful and so intimate and so acquainted personally with you that he is preoccupied with the details of your life. The reason we can cast our anxieties on him is because he is already caring for us. Now, some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I get that. God's nice, takes care of his people. And I know there's these people that have this kind of like, I'm on the right bus. Like there's a bus going to heaven and you didn't have a ticket, but you're like, do, 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 and I'm on the bus. And you don't think about God thinking about you that way. You think about God thinking about some people that way and lots of people that way. And if you're with the right people, you're okay. And, and these are the kind of people that kind of feel bad about themselves. And then when you invite them to church, they're like, I, 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 can't, I can't go to church because the, the building will burn, burn down. The lightning will strike the thing. And, and because the idea is that God's for us, but he's not for me. But the psalmist actually explains in verse 17 that this isn't just a corporate thing that God has towards people in general. It is for me. Look at this. As for me, verse 17, I am poor and needy. I can't pay for the dentist. I can't get the right insurance. PPO, DMO, HMO, I don't know. <laughs> but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Think about the capacity of God and his thoughtfulness. The psalmist in 139, David writes in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I'm awake and I am still with you. I guess he was one of those early morning stressors like me. Huh, I'm awake and all the little things. But what is he aware of? The incredible, exponential, multiplied thoughts about God. They're more than the sand. Now, I don't know if we should take that literally or euphemistically. I don't know. But if you think about it, the sand, that's a lot of sand, isn't it? I read an article some years ago about a group of scientists that wanted to estimate the number of grains of sand on the earth. Now, you can't count them. Would, you'd die before you got even a fraction of the way through them. And you can't pass that work on for progeny. It would take too long. And so they got a tablespoon of sand. 
and then they used a supercomputer to count all the grains in the tablespoon, and then they were able to take the size of the tablespoon and quantify that into larger and larger sizes, and then use that to estimate you know, on the top surface soil of the earth all the way around, land mass, all that. They did all these calculations, and they discovered that the grains of sand on the earth somewhere estimates 10 to the 18th power, or 10 million trillion grains of sand. That's what that looks like. Now, we can't like hold on to a number that big. Like you can't even get handles to go, what is that? I mean, what is 10 million trillion dollars? I mean, I mean, except for like the national debt. That's like one way of thinking about it. <laughs> That's, but even then it's like hard to quantify how much is that each. So we have 10 million trillion grains of sand, 10 to the 18th power. Now think about this for a second. If you were to take your life, which on average, by the time the New Testament was written, was 70 years. The average human lifespan, 70 years. Some, some are stronger than that, grow older than that, but let's just take 70. Then your life consists of 10 to the ninth power seconds. You see that? Or 10,000 million seconds. Now, if God's thoughts are like the grains of the sand, and if you live for 10,000 million seconds, in first service, I actually said, then God's thinking about you two times every second for your whole life. And then a really smart engineer said to me, actually, your math is terrible. <laughs> that only gets you 20,000 million, not the 10 million trillion. That means God's having to have a billion thoughts a second towards you. Now, even if you divide that by the 8 billion humans that are on the planet, that's still a lot of thoughts. That's more thoughts about you than you have about you. And this is the disposition of God. He is preoccupied with you. This is why prayer is so powerful when you understand it. Prayer is so powerful because when you take a moment to actually talk to God, you are encountering a God who's already been aware of your situation, mindful of what you need, mindful of how you feel, a thousand situations that are answers to prayer, wanting to hear what you have to say, wanting to answer your prayers, wanting to comfort you, and his thoughts are just a billion miles an hour in your direction, and whenever you pray to him, that's when you get to connect with his thoughtfulness because he's preoccupied. And I don't know if you understand the, the critical nature of this. I mean, the psalmist would go on to say, like, what is man, mankind, that you are mindful of us? or a son of man, like just one dude, like me, just one person that you would think of us in the vast array of all the things, like God's keeping the whole universe kind of moving. I don't know if you know this or not. He's doing all of those things and also paying attention to every single detail that you're walking through. He's preoccupied with you. There used to be this consideration that the stars in the sky were as vast as the sand on the seashore. You ever heard any say that? That's actually not even close. The same scientists estimate the stars in the visible universe, the observable universe, and here's the number. 70,000 million, million, million stars, or 10 times seven to the 21st power. Observable universe. Those are the ones that we can see. Those are the stars. Now imagine for a second the God who's preoccupied with you what he says about himself in Isaiah 40. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see, the speaking of the stars, who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all 
by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. I have four kids, and I mix up all their names relatively frequently. Sometimes I tell Tiffany, like, why did we name two kids with an M name? I'm like, Molly, I'm Meredith. Meredith, I'm Molly. Ah, I feel like I'm wrong more than 50% of the time. Like, my kids are going to gr- grow up with their dad calling the wrong name most of the time. That's, that's me, okay? And I have four kids, and sometimes I end up with just three of them. I'm like, where is the other one? What happened, you know? And here we have the God who made everything, who's numbered the 70,000 million, million, million stars, and not just numbered them, one, two, three, four, five, six, names them and knows every single name. And because of his power, not one goes missing. One of them's really important to me. It's called the sun. I'd like that one to hang out for as long as possible. Can I get an amen? But he's watching every single one of them. And the God that has this attentiveness to detail, this capacity and power, he is the God who is preoccupied with you. If you believe that, it'll change your life. It'll change your stress. It'll change your anxiety. It'll change your pain. And it will change your experience of God in prayer. And so cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the first and longest of these three realities. The second one that I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention is that we have an enemy that wants to paralyze us with anxiety. Do you know that? This is, this is not, we're not in neutral here, folks. We have opposition. We have an enemy. Peter was aware of it, and he loves to exploit our anxiety because it paralyzes us. I was so stressed out with the dentist and the cell phone and other stuff I can't talk to you about. I was like, ah! And I had my regular stuff I got to do, and I can't do anything extra. And God's got missions for us all the time if we'll pay attention. He's got people he wants us to talk to, pray for, care for, provide for, serve. I mean, there's so many things that God would have us to do, but the enemy wants us nervous, anxious, stressed out, overcommitted, and on lockdown. So we have an enemy. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know what? I think he hangs out in the parking lot in front of the dentist's office, personally. I think he finds plenty of people right there just rah, like, I'm going to get that one. Oh, yeah, you're mine, sucker. That's how I feel. But verse 9 says, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. I've got to lean back on what I know to be true about God. It's the only way that I'm going to escape the jaws of an enemy that wants to be paralyzed in anxiety. And he'll whisper to you. He'll tell you all the things. He'll keep your mind focused. He wants you to take your thoughts, and instead of casting them to the one who cares for you, he wants you to regurgitate them right back into your own mind and project a terrible future. And he's got strategies. He's got tactics. He does. He's the father of lies. I think one of the most profound lies that our world believes right now, living in this modernistic, humanistic, secular age, is that there is no God. Science tells us there's an answer for everything. We don't need a God at the beginning of everything. There's a system and there's a reason and it's measurable. And if you just look at the world naturally, there's an answer for everything. We don't need a first cause. We don't need a presiding God. We don't need a personal God. It doesn't exist. It's just for weak, silly people. Now, I grew up in an uber-conservative Christian family with an uber-conservative Christian education. And just growing up in this world, I still regularly was like, hmm, could all just be brute facts. Like, maybe there isn't a God at all. And she started measuring like the utility of believing in God. Is it helpful for me? I could be wrong, but is this helping or is it not? That's a silly question to be asking, but the enemy loves those questions. He goes, oh yeah, just consider for a second that there is no God. There probably isn't. You're just alone out here. No one's watching over you. It's all on you. It's all on you. 
And we start to let that sink in. People start to believe it. We think about, think about who is watching. I mean, what does that worldview look like? I, I love all things science, and I, I saw that NASA has a satellite called Atlas that is scouring our solar system for objects that are traveling through space that could pose a potential harm to Earth. Did you know that? They're watching all the time. But did you know that on June 5th of 2020, just last year, an 18-kilometer-wide asteroid passed between the Earth and the moon? And they found out the next day. Because <laughs> it was just a little too small to be picked up by their protocol. Now, I don't know, much, I don't know how much we paid for that, but it was too much. <laughs> but even if that was the case, even if they had seen it coming, they can't calculate with certainty based on its very size what trajectory it would take. They, and what good is it going to do for all of us to think the world's about to end from a cataclysmic asteroid? Ah, if you weren't stressed already. Because it doesn't matter if you're watching, if you can't do anything about it. Can I get an amen? But the truth is not the lie of the enemy. We serve the God who is real and who is powerful and who can change the course of the world and who cares about your situation. Now listen, if some people won't buy the lie, most people don't actually. 85% of human beings profess to believe that there is a God, even if they don't know who it is. They're agnostics, many of them, but 85% of people say, no, there's... There seems logically to me that there's a God. There's an innate sense in us that, that we don't have an eternity, that we are part of something, that God made the world. That makes the most sense to some people. Now, there are atheists out there that say there is no God. They're almost like anti-theists. I don't know if you know any. Um, they're usually just agnostics with a chip on their shoulder. That's the atheist. I always say the two tenets of atheism are, number one, there is no God, and number two, I hate him. Right. So that's, that's, that's the tenets of atheism. So if someone's like, I know there's no God, I'm so mad right now. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, but even for most people that are agnostic, they believe there's a God, but we don't know anything about him. The devil's like, fine, you want to believe in God? Go for it. There is a God. He just kind of made all this stuff, started it spinning, and he's just sitting back and watching to see what happens. He's a, kind of like a cruel boy on the playground with a magnifying glass toasting ants. That's what God is like. So yeah, there's a God. And let's see if he picks you to fry. That's God. And he'll love to just fill in the blank of what God must be like. This is, this is one of his lies. I mean, this is what he does. He doesn't think about you. He doesn't care about you. He isn't concerned with your situation. And if he can't convince you of that, if you go, no, he's got to be, if he's powerful enough to be God, he's got to know everything. He's gotta, if you start to logically think it through, then ultimately you'll come to the last and final lie that he likes to paralyze you with. Yeah, there is a God, and yeah, he knows everything, and yeah, he knows everything about you, and he's mostly mad at you, you little jerk. You selfish, self-centered little jerk. You only care about yourself. You screw up so bad. You never do what's right. You're such a failure and a disappointment. When God looks at you, he is disappointed, disgusted. Yeah. Oh, there's a God. Yeah. And he's coming for you. And it's going to be ugly. And he'll insert those thoughts. And there's plenty of fiery preachers that will reinforce them. But it's a lie. In fact, you know the one thing that God says he doesn't remember? Jeremiah 31, look at it with me. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. We need a transplant, brothers and sisters, a spiritual heart transplant. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember. Remember their sins no more. God says, yeah, I see you. I see your problems. I see your mistakes. I see your failures. And I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to remove everything that stands as an obstacle between you and me being one on one forever. And he did that by becoming into our broken, stressed out, nasty, brutish world. And he lived a life like us. And he died the death we deserve. And then he gives his life through his power over death in the grave and resurrection power. And for every person that puts their faith in Jesus, he cleanses us and we become a temple of the Holy Spirit and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. That's who our God is. He knows everything and chooses not to remember the things you've done wrong. That's the truth. The devil wants to bury that lie so deep. He wants to just cover you up and tear you down and slow you down, paralyze you. The scriptures say, listen, God takes your sins and he drops them off the boat and they hit the bottom of the ocean, never to be recovered. He separates you from them as far as east is from west. And in Jesus, he puts you and him right back together. And now he's eager to hear your prayers and calm your fears. Take care of the things that matter to you because he's preoccupied with you. In closing, thirdly and lastly, I think this is so important this third reality. All suffering is temporary or temporal, but salvation is eternal. See, part of the perspective we need is that this life isn't everything there is. 40-year-olds need that because I'm like, I think, I'm, I, think I just hit halftime. I'm at the halftime show right now and I feel like turning it off, <laughs> you know? And you, maybe some of you are in the, the fourth quarter. Maybe some of you are in overtime right now. I don't know how you feel about your experience on earth. Maybe you're you're experiencing more suffering, more pain, more anxiety than ever before. You have more people to care about, more things that are uncertain, and more perspective on the world as it is, and more questions about what the future is going to hold, and maybe your stress level is going up, 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 up. But I love that Peter says to us, listen, this suffering that we're all enduring together, it's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. After a little while, he says, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. That's the God that wants to walk with you every day, that wants to work through your anxiety with you, that wants you to bring your troubles, your specific troubles. He wants to hear prayers like, I feel like a bad dad. My kid's teeth are falling out. I'm so stressed out. I'm so mad at insurance companies and receptionists. And he goes, well, don't worry. Those are all practice teeth anyway. Before, Before too long, everybody's perfect teeth will be sitting in a jar on the dresser. And it won't be too much longer after that before we're all getting brand new bodies and brand new teeth. And praise God, there's no dentist in heaven. Can I get an amen? Woo! 
because there's perspective to be had because all suffering is temporary, but our salvation is eternal. And the care that God wants to bring to us is it comes in the form of salvation. Listen, all of us need saved from sin. All of us need saved from wrath. All of us need saved from final judgment, from destruction, the second death. We do. But we also, we need saved from insurance bills and we need saved from drama in relationships and we need saved from hurricanes and we need say, I mean, you name it. There's so much salvation that we need. We need deliverance out of, out of breakups and heartaches and fear. We need salvation over and over and over. And our salvation is experienced through the God who is near. And that God revealed in the scriptures is totally hung up on you. I start to wonder, like, what is it that would make God so preoccupied? Is it just because his brain's like a supercomputer and he's just aware of everything? And so he's just running, he's just running a program and he's just aware of all of us. And I don't think it is because I remember in my human experience, there was one period in time in my life when I find myself so preoccupied that I couldn't keep my head on straight. And you know what it was? It was when I fell in love with my wife. I met her and I, I was like super attracted to her. And then I was having these conversations with her. And when she like expressed that she was interested back in me, it was like mind blown, little parade in my heart. There was music playing everywhere I went. And I couldn't think about anything. I couldn't think about school. I couldn't think about work. I couldn't think about eating. All I could think about was the next time I was going to get to see her. And the next time I was going to get to talk to her, I was totally preoccupied. You know why? Because I was in love. And whether you believe it or not, or you can accept it or not, the God of the universe is so madly in love with you that he can't stop thinking about you. He gets it when the dad of a rising seventh grader is fearful of what his daughter's going to see or read or hear in that brutish, dirty internet out there. And I don't want to be disconnected from her and I don't want to not be able to reach her, but I don't want her to have access to what I know is punishingly evil and could destroy her life. And I cry out to God. And what I know in that moment is that love I have for her is just a little speck of the love he has for me. It's a little, it's a little inch of the love he has for you. He's madly in love with you, totally preoccupied. And he's ready for you to bring all of your anxiety to him so he can calm you down, so he can fill you up, so he can empower you to give you the motivation to kind of be a person that's like your father in heaven, so eager to care and to do what you can and to walk in love and in faith and in boldness and in self-sacrifice. Listen, if you try to add caring for other people to your already stressed out life, it will crush you. But if you bring your stressed out life to a God who's preoccupied with you, that interaction, I guarantee, will transform your experience as a person. And then he will fill you up to show you who you should help and when you should help and how much you should help and when it's time to let somebody else do that. This is what God wants to do with us and for us. But we weren't made to live these stressed out lives. Evie camp's over. She keeps taking the phone. I call it the phone, not her phone. She keeps taking the phone. The phone lives on the, the counter. Plug in the phone. Bedtime. Plug in the phone. No phones in your room. Leave the phone. This phone does nothing but make phone calls, okay? She comes to me and she's like, Dad, I want to download an app. No! No! No apps for you! She's like, Dad, I want to get the Bible app. She did. She did. 
Yeah, you can have the Bible app. But I started unlocking her phone to download the Bible app, and I'm overwhelmed. I can't make her want to read the Bible. I can't make her want to download you version and not TikTok. But God's got her heart. He's the only one that can do the thing I worry about the most. And whether that's your children or your paycheck or your health, there's only one God that can handle it. And he's the God who's inviting you to bring all your stuff to him because he wants to care for you. And so we set our minds. We walk with God. Psalm 48, 9. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. That's all we've done this morning. You know that? We've just spent a little bit of time thinking about God's steadfast love in the midst of his temple. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Listen, there's some of you I know this morning who are here and you just didn't know God was like that. Maybe, you, maybe you're not a church-going person. Maybe you're, you're a self-proclaimed agnostic or maybe you're an atheist and I ticked you off a little bit. I'm sorry. But you're in, being introduced to the God, the only God that's revealed himself right here. And if his testimony is consistent and true, then this is who he truly is. And this is how he truly feels about you. And he wants to close the gap between you and him. He wants to forgive everything you've done wrong. He wants to heal every evil thing that's happened to you. He wants to be a father to you. He wants to be a God and a provider. And he wants to walk with you through everything life has to offer. And all he asks is that you trust him and walk with him, that you talk to him and he will do the rest. And so I, I just wanna urge you, if you're here and you don't know God this way, that you will take the step to say, all right, God, maybe I was wrong and you were right, and I'm gonna stop doing this and I'm gonna turn in your direction. And that's what the Bible calls repentance and faith. And that's how we receive God's gift of salvation. So I wanna pray for you and I'll pray for all of us because we're all in this together. Can they get amen? And if you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and if, if what I just said describes you, if you feel like, yeah, that's me, me and God, not good. I got lots of baggage. I got lots of issues. I need help. Didn't think God was like that. Wasn't asking for help. Wasn't, wasn't looking his direction. And you want to trust this God, that he is who he says he is. And you want to turn in his direction and you want to trust in him. Then this is a great opportunity for you to do that. And while everyone's heads are down and their eyes are closed, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you just to say, yep. I want to receive that gift. I want to receive that gift of salvation from God. Awesome. Wow. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are leaning into your offer of salvation, who are convinced of your steadfast love and your preoccupation with them and your eagerness to help. God, I pray for all nine of them who raise their hands whatever their relationship with you has looked like, whatever their belief or unbelief has been, whatever pain they've experienced. God, I pray that in this moment, as they move in your direction, that they would experience your overwhelming, sweet forgiveness that comes as a gift from, by faith. Lord, I pray that you'd make your home in their hearts by your spirit, that you would cleanse them and that you'd begin to walk with them every single day. God, I thank you as we turn our attention to you and we move in your direction through repentance and we trust in you through faith that you save. 
So I pray that each of them would receive this precious gift and today would begin their journey of faith in you. God, I pray for the rest of us. We're just trying to navigate a challenging life with things that are out of our control, things that hurt, things that preoccupy us and draw us to the forefront of our mind and paralyze us. God, I pray against every lie of the enemy. God, I pray for every disciple of Jesus in the house today that you would strengthen us, strengthen our faith, drive us to prayer, to that desperate prayer, knowing that you are God steadfast in love and preoccupied with us and so powerful and so capable. And I pray that we would encounter you in ways that calm our fears, that dissolve our anxiety, and that both motivate us and increase our capacity to extend your miraculous love and care to the world around us. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, in our hearts and minds, and through us to draw all people to yourself. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, if you're one of those people that raised your hand and you'd like us to help you take next steps. We got these cards by the offering box that say, I have decided. We'd love to hear from you. Want to send you a book and help you with that. And our prayer teams are here. They'd love to pray with you. If you have any need of prayer, there's no, nothing too small, nothing too big. We'd love to pray for you. This is a place where you can encounter God. And now it's our turn to go take the presence of God into the world as his ambassadors, spokespersons, and messengers. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.